Today's show brought to you by our friends at Monmouth Park. Saturday is Haskell Day, $1 million in the grade1tvg.com. Haskell, the grade one United Nations, three other graded stakes on the card. You'll be hearing about those later. $400,000 guaranteed pick four for the all stakes one, nine through 12. $200,000 guaranteed in the late pick five, including the two races after the Haskell. We've got the win early pick five starting at 12 o'clock. Special early post time, probably going to get about 200 in that. And of course, big showdown, Jack Christopher against Taba. You've also got Trebuvin, Gufo in the UN. Going to be fun. Handicapping contest, $1,000. I'll tell you about more about that later. Uh, register with Brian Skirka if you want to play. Bskirka at monmouthpark.com. BCBC, NHC seats, and cash prizes as well. Thank you very much to our friends at Monmouth. For more information, go to monmouthpark.com. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our little mashup show between Horse Players Happy Hour and the In The Money Players podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatow, coming to you from the little house on the east side. Very happy to be joined by a man you'll be seeing uh, in his uh, favorite and preferred medium this weekend as part of the CNBC coverage of the brace of grade ones we have from Monmouth Park. I'm speaking, of course, of TV's Matt Bernier. Matt, what's up? Pete, looking forward to this weekend. Like you said, we've got a couple of great ones, five to six on CNBC. That's East Coast time. Uh, but leading into that, we've got good quality graded stakes action. You've got big horses. We talked about it a little bit. We'll talk about it here. I think there these are pivotal races for a few names that we're familiar with about what direction they're going to end up going for the rest of the year and perhaps the rest of their career. couple of notes to kick things off. Early post time. They start at 12 on, on Saturday. Be aware of that. Card kicks off with the win early pick five. Great way to build the bankroll for the day. You got some stakes action um, feathered into that sequence as well. And also contest. You've got an online only contest, $1,000 available to TVG and ExpressBet players. Um, If you want the full rules, I have Brian Skirka on the, the roundtable show, he'll give them there. You can reach out to Brian at Monmouth or just check with your ADW because the rules are a little different for each one and I forget which is which. Just to make sure, register early and also make sure Brian knows you're playing. Don't get shut out. This is going to be a great opportunity. Breeders' Cup betting challenge seats are part of the prize pool. As for the races we're going to be talking about on these shows, let's go straight to race number eight. 329 is the scheduled post time for the grade three Monmouth Cup going a mile and an eighth on the dirt. Matt, who's your idea of the winner? Well, and keep in mind, you know, I, I had to do my handicapping on a plane ride, so I didn't have all of my formulator access. I did get to watch most of the replays at Logan Airport this morning, early this morning before I took off. Um, I understand he may have been on a speed-friendly racetrack back in April at Aqueduct, but boy, Pipeline was good. I mean, he really, really ran that day, and there have been horses that have come out of that race to go on to win next out. I'm not entirely positive with the figs just yet, uh, but you can take a look at those in any kind of you know past performance tool that you may use. I just know what I saw visually. The horse looked great. He's one that's always had some ability, and I know he's only gone two turns one time in his career, but I thought he ran really well that day. I don't think this distance is going to be the thing that gets him beat. And of the two, Chad Browns, I think the household name is highly motivated. I've never liked him going long. I think this pipeline could be very good. I don't know if he's... Breeders' Cup Classic good, but maybe he's Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile good, and I think with a performance like that here, you know, who knows? You, he'll at least earn his his chance to to find out in a race like the Jockey Club Gold Cup or something else down the road, how far does he really want to go? First things first, you got to run big on Saturday, and I think he's fully capable of doing so. He's an interesting horse. I agree with you that it might be a little bit flattered by a track that seemed to be playing to speed, but took a bump early, was geared down late, And sports, a pretty impressive-looking work tab. Um, I'm with you. I mean, it's not – this is going to be the favorite. Well, maybe the second choice, but as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, highly motivated on the outside. But but for me, this is the horse that I think is the most interesting. Might be able to have the speed to control. And I could totally see this race having Breeders' Cup dirt mile um, implications. We're both with Pipeline in uh, in this one. We'll see how it plays out um, with the – 
the Monmouth Cup, uh, kicking off the first five, the first of five stakes races on this card. There isn't a pick five linking them all. There is a pick six if you go one race past um, this one, however. So a lot of different ways you can still get involved in that. But I think the pool that might be the most popular is this all-graded stakes pick four. They're guaranteeing, I think, 400 on it. It kicks off with the matchmaker, this grade three for a three and up Phillies and mares going a mile and an eighth on the turf. And we had a fun conversation about this one on the round table. I was of the mind that lady rock star might still be the most interesting one in here. And maybe simply because not trained by Chad Brown or Shug McGahee, maybe you can get a better than should be price on her. I like the way she's been able to quicken up in her races Third off the layoff here for this ex-Haggis runner. Imperious, really, in the two victories so far in the USA. We'll see if Jose Ortiz can't guide Lady Rockstar home in the matchmaker. Who did you like in here? Without giving away too much about the roundtable show, what was the overall uh, opinion of Lady Rockstar? She was well-liked, um, but there was a lot of, I think, Frank made her the, the Frank more agreed with me that she's really the interesting one. JK was going to try to lock it up using the other two Chad Brown runners. And then Brian uh, wanted to bring vigilantes way into the mix who Frank also respected as a backup. That was sort of okay. a summary of the pick. So everybody, everybody had lady rock star in the mix, but I just think that it might be an opportunity, you know, when you can look, you play against Chad Brown when he has three good ones in the race the odds are he's going to kick sand in your face. Having said that, I think it's an interesting opportunity just from a strictly value point of view to maybe take them on just because I think Lady Rockstar may be a little underrated. What, what's your thought? No, I'm, I'm in lockstep with you. I mean, I, I just, I, I've loved the tape on both of the starts. Uh, as far as the, the class is concerned, who knows? Maybe she doesn't class up, but you know, you brought up the fact that, yeah, you've got three Chads in here. I don't know that this is the A string of, of the Chads and maybe they don't need to be the A string. I mean, Chad's B-strings are better than most A-stringers. But uh, I just think Lady Rockstar, I, I still don't know that we've seen her best just yet. Uh, and, and Brendan Walsh's name continues to pop up in these big turf races on either coast. He's going to have a couple out west on opening weekend that are, that are going to be you know, well-fancied, well-thought-of ones. So, uh, I, again, I'm, I'm kind of with you. From a price standpoint, from a potential standpoint, uh, Lady Rockstar was the way I chose to go in here, understanding that Fluffy Sox can win, Flighty Lady can win, uh, you know, Lamista, I suppose, can win as well. I'm not crazy about any of them. I, I'm I'm impressed with Lady Rockstar. I'm going to go with her. I will back up a little bit with Lamista just based on the trip I think she's going to be able to get and the finish that she's shown, saving ground under Pratt with, with maybe the best finish of all. But I'll be I'll be better off, and I prefer Lady Rockstar in the matchmaker. Let's talk about our third race of the sequence. It's the Grade Three Molly Pitcher, three and up. Phillies and mares going a mile and a 16th on the dirt. And uh, we got a big favorite in here who the panel was simply uh, gaga over. And it's hard to disagree with them because one of the best trip handicapping angles of all time is making that early move into a hot pace. That's what search results did the last day. That was a very, very good and big race, her best. And I think it's really even better than it looks Obviously, Chad Brown, unhappy with the ride, reaches out for Pratt here. I think he'll have her in a fantastic spot on or near, and I think she's going to take all the beating. you have any alternatives to search results, or are you riding with me on this one? No, look, I, I loved her in the Ogden Phipps, and, and to be honest, I know maybe it wasn't the ideal sort of scenario, but I, I wasn't terribly disappointed with it because the way she was moving and when she went, and ran down uh, the Philly on the front end, who's slipping my memory at the moment. The, the Latruska. Uh, thank you, Latruska. How can I forget? Uh, and then she got run down by two really quality Phillies in Clarier and Malathot. And you're right. She, she won the battle but lost the war. Um, I, frankly, I've never been crazy about her going a two-turn mile in an eighth. But I just think she's that much better than everyone else in this spot. I wanted to like Army Wife more than I do. She's just light on figs. If you're purely comparing them, Army wife's got a lot to find and you're going to need to hope that search results finds that final eighth of a mile going two turns a little bit too much. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think search results, you might as well just stone cold single here. I do like Bonnie South a little bit just to run second, because I think running style wise, it feels like this could be the kind of thing where army wife. Now I know it's Rosario and, and you know, he seems to always have something for the finish, but I just think 
that she runs the risk of getting cooked and Bonnie South is just going to get, this is a funny thing to say, because usually you say going to get the run of the race, meaning they're going to win. Going to get the run of the race to finish second, if that's a thing. <laughs> we'll make it a thing and we'll go cold 3-7, but most of the play will be stone cold through the three like you. That's just a supplementary uh, 20% of the money bet that I'll throw in there. Let's move on to the grade ones, the races you will be on TV talking about. And I'm going to start this with the caveat that with the amount of work that I know you do in the travel I know you've had and the length of time that these PPs um, have been out, we're going to call these provisional opinions that you should watch the show on, on Saturday and follow Matt on Twitter to make sure you're getting the final answer. This is not the final answer. We talk about the final answer show. This is the pre-final answer show, but I can't uh, resist the idea, Matt, of picking your brain on at this early stage who you think the winner of the United Nations will be. Well, I mean, I just give you kind of the view, my view from 30,000 feet. Look, I've loved uh, Trabuvin for a long, long time. But boy, as well as he ran at Belmont last time out, I think he's going to have a lot harder time this time around with the other pace signed on. So part of me doesn't really love him in this spot. And I think he may take a little bit of money as well off that big effort. Um, Adamo, I've never loved, but I thought he was actually pretty good. But I got a little bit of a passive ride in that run in the Manhattan. And he still was able to kick on and finish well enough. I don't think this distance will be any kind of an issue for him. Gufo, the other one coming out of there. I've never been a huge fan. He has an abundance of ability, yet why do I see him lose races? I don't think he has any business losing. Um, I, he's not quite in the same category of Sadler's Joy, but I look at them as sort of, as Gufo maybe is the new version of Sadler's Joy, where you got to time it perfectly. You need things to break your way. And look, he's going to come with this run. It's just a matter of, does he get up or not? So I'm looking around trying to find some sort of prices Again, Adamo makes a little bit of sense to me. If you're really trying to go outside the box, and I don't know if I'm going to go quite this far outside the box, I think Glynn County is really dirty, really dirtied up. Um, the most recent run in the Monmouth, no, it wasn't particularly good, and I don't have a real reason for that. Uh, maybe a little bit shorter than he really likes. I think he wants to go probably out to this mile and three-eighths, somewhere thereabouts. But draw a line through the off track, draw a line through the yielding turf three back, You've got that Keeneland run, which, no, wasn't great, but he was caught up in traffic late in deep stretch. So give him a mulligan there. He wouldn't be the first horse to hate Gulfstream's turf course. Draw a line through those two. And I know I'm going way back at this point, but his run in the turf cup last year at Kentucky Downs was solid. He rallied into no pace in the Mr. D at Arlington Park last summer. And prior to that, he ran into no pace again in the United Nations. So I, I get it. you got to really be squinting if you're trying to make a case. But this is going to be a 30-to-1 shot. We're not talking about a horse that's going to be five to one or six to one or even eight to one. He's going to be 30 to one in here. Um, I, I don't know that I'm bold enough just yet to go out on a limb and say I'm going to pick him. I think there are far more likely winners, but I wouldn't be stunned if Glenn County ran decent on Saturday. You make a super compelling case for this long shot, who's somewhat surprisingly, Brad Thomas has it only 10 to one on the morning line, but I think you're right. You'll get a drift on that. Uh, on that one maybe sure. maybe thir maybe 30 is overzealous maybe 20 yeah I, I think you're gonna I mean there's certainly gonna be a price the excuses are abundant and I, I think you can just really write off the last race no real setup off a bit slow shorter possibly than the best and this isn't an angle per se but it's a note on Glynn County what a story it would be to see a kitten's joy uh, progeny win the big grade one uh, so soon after we lost uh, that tremendous horse. So uh, it, it, and it ain't going to rain, but if it did, it wouldn't probably hurt um, that horse's uh, chance, given his bloodline. It's a compelling case for a long shot who I am now going to try to keep on side, but it's kind of funny. I had the same idea as you, but maybe through a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a mirror image, or maybe I'm just being too chalky, but the three temple I thought was interesting on similar basis to what you're talking about. I mean, this is a horse that could finish. I thought um, in the Pan American 112 days ago, just moved too quick into that pace. That was one of those days where it did set up super duper well for Gufo. I thought Temple was a little interesting as a horse listed at six to one in the morning line who could go off longer than that. You know, breeding wise, um, I really like the mile and three ace. And there's just, there's plenty of pace in here. You got to remember that Trebuvin you know, that probably doesn't happen if Channel Maker breaks, right? And then even put that aside, you throw in looking at pace figures, you got multiple runners that are faster than him 
to the early lead here. So completely different scenario for a horse that frustrates and doesn't like to win from a potentially tri tri tricky post. No thanks, Gufo. Not today. Not 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 anyway. And Adamo to me is just you know is going to probably be five to two and make sense, but hasn't shown any real kick. This is a horse who's gotten setups in all three races and hasn't managed to win going up in class. So I, I don't like that as one of the favorites. I've got to reach for something in this spot. And I think Temple is an interesting way to reach. I think Glynn County is an interesting way to reach. And uh, perhaps for me, the United Nations will be a case of in Mike Maker we trust. Doesn't typically go too badly in the longer uh, turf races at the high level. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, you could do worse than put your faith in Mike Maker going long on the weeds. I mean, that's... It's a nice spot to be in where you're going to get a couple of prices. And to your point, especially if you do like a horse like Temple, this this is kind of one of those prime opportunities just because of name recognition with the other horses. He can't help but be – he will be no less than 9-2. to two. I'd be absolutely flummoxed if he was shorter than that. And I think he may not float, but I think six is kind of spot on. I could absolutely see that. All right. We'll see how that plays out. We now move on to the featured race of the day. We're going to do that gimmick – Matt, where we sort of roll through the race and then we'll do a little reset at the end that maybe we can cut out for, uh, for, for social media. I don't think we can really probably hold back who our picks are going to be, but we'll see. Depending on how it goes, we'll keep the conversation free-flowing. We've got a field of eight going postward in this spot. Is it as simple in this year's Haskell, this grade one going a mile and an eighth, that it's a match between Taba and Jack Christopher? Let's start there. Um, no, I, I wouldn't quite go that far. It, it's pretty close, but I don't think it's quite there yet, just simply because Jack Christopher does need to prove that two turns is not an issue for him. Uh, he's been fantastic, and if he gets the two turns, he probably wins just based on numbers. Uh, Taba is, I still maintain, one of the most talented horses of this crop. He's still lightly raced, and I cannot imagine, after coming off the suspension, that Bob Baffert would put this horse on a plane, ship him across the country if he wasn't ready to go. I just refuse to believe that. Uh, the reason I'm reluctant to say it's just those two and then everyone else, I, I've never loved him, but I'm, I'm a little more intrigued as each passing day goes by with Cyberknife. Uh, and mainly because that run at Churchill and the Matt Wynn, I talked about it on my podcast at the beginning of the week, the three horses that have come out of that race have all improved their buyer speed figure by at least seven points. So if all of a sudden you believe he can improve seven to eight points and he gets into the 101-102 range, he's right there with those other two. If you've got questions about how far Jack Christopher wants to go, if you have questions about how good Taba actually is, Cyberknife at six or seven to one with a horse that can sit off the pace, isn't dependent on going, could be on the improve for Brad Cox and Florent Giroux. I, I think that's a very intriguing play. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm picking him. I want to take a look at a couple of the products to come out, but... Um, I think it's between those three. Let's put it that way. Okay. I think that's interesting. You're bringing in one who's going to be a big price, who I've heard is training very well as well. I I don't think I can. I, I think I'm more of the match race um, philosophy, but I, I I think at the prices you're going to end up getting, that's who you're going to – I think that's who you're going to end up picking. That, that's just my – that's just I mean, my goal. Unless I see something that is like red flag, red flag, I, I'm probably leaning that direction. How do you split Taba and Jack Christopher in terms of likelihood of winning? I, honestly, it's kind of a coin flip right now because I, I don't have any question about the distance with Taba, but you do need to blindly put your faith in the fact that the Derby was just the Derby. And you're going to give him a mulligan and say, you know what, with time, back with Bob, he's going to be good to go. You, you need to kind of just buy into that at a short number. With Jack Christopher... I mean, I, I've said it a million times. I've never been thrilled about the idea of two turns, but boy, I think he's a different three-year-old than he was as a two-year-old. He was brilliant then, uh, don't get me wrong. And he probably would have won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile in hindsight, seeing how bad that race has come up. But yeah. I, I, it's still one of those things. I see that pedigree. I see Munnings in half hours, and I go, we're, we're going we're gonna to get nine furlongs <laughs> up on the pace, taking, taking pressure, then you're going to hold off waves? If he put it this way, if he does, he will earn it and he belongs in the conversation for the best three year old period. It's such a tough one. You know, you have these two horses who are figure darlings in, in Taba and Jack Christopher. I am going to go with the idea in this race that in Chad, I trust. Couldn't agree with you more on the breeding, but I will point out that the mile and an eighth at Monmouth is a good mile and an eighth for a speedy 
potentially non 10 furlong stayer. Like Jack Christopher could run off and win this by five geared down. And I'll still have questions about him getting the mile and a quarter for the Travers. You know, that's just the way I look at the world. But I mean, the idea that he didn't even bought that he had early voting, apparently ready to go for this race and decided to stay home with that one and just send this one. It's almost like that angle when they have two and they scratch one. It's like, I mean, the confidence is exuding off this one. Taba, I know Baffert is loaded for bear. I know this horse has never been a particularly good workhorse, but I don't like it when a not particularly good workhorse is working like noticeably worse than before he had all the hype in the world on him. Very controversial morning line in this race. Who would you have made the favorite? Uh, Jack Christopher. Yeah, I, you know, and I, and I found it interesting that the fixed odds, I believe, supplied by betmakers um, had a wildly different setup as far as evens price. versus five to two on that, that that's not that's not a small difference you know that that is a substantial and, and again we're talking about two different forms of, of wagering and you know what the bookmaker wants to make sure that there's not crazy prices out there uh i i'm more inclined to look at that as the reality as far as the likelihood of winning the probability standpoint that you know they're both close to if I had to go about it from a morning line standpoint, I probably would have gone somewhere in that six to five, seven to five range, six to five, eight to five, knowing that everybody else is going to be seven or eight to one and north of that. But um, I would have gone with Jack Christopher. We'll see how it plays out. Let's do a quick reset here. We've got win in your inaction for the Breeders' Cup Classic in the TVG.com grade one Haskell on Saturday. For me, this is a race where I'm going to go with the old standby in Chad Brown. We trust. Jack Christopher has, he has just impressed me so, so much with what he's been able to do visually and on the clock. I get it. The breeding says maybe longer isn't going to be his friend, but I think Chad Brown spotting him here, the figures he's run, the the situation he's going to get. I think there's an opportunity. He can just go to the front and improve his position and run out an impressive winner in this year's Haskell. I know, Matt, a lot of people talking about this, like it's a match race between Taba and Jack Christopher. I know you'll be giving your final pick on air on Saturday, but you made a very compelling case for another runner in this race. Tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you can look at it this way. If Jack Christopher gets the distance, he's the most likely winner. If he doesn't get it, Taba sort of falls into that category, but he's coming in off of a lengthy layoff and a terrible effort in the Kentucky Derby. If it's not one of those two, I could see a scenario where Cyberknife jumps up, takes a big step forward for Brad Cox and Florent Giroux and upsets the apple cart at a very, very playable price. Got a couple more things to take a look at before the pick is finalized, 5 to 6 Eastern on CNBC on Saturday. But I do think it comes down to those three. And purely from a number standpoint, from a probability standpoint, and a price standpoint, boy, Cyberknife might be hard for me to, uh, to hold back on. Win and you're in action at Monmouth and at Ascot on Saturday. Make sure you tune in and check it out. Fixed Odds Betting, powered by BetMakers, is back and in effect at Monmouth Park. Early returns are fantastic. 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. There is soon going to be fixed odds wagering available across the state. An exciting new way to bet that puts power to get value in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get. Stroll in there to Mammoth. You like Taba. You can get five to two if you get the opening price. It'll change quick probably, but that's pretty cool. You love Jack Christopher? Lock in even money. You think he's going to be three to five? You can get that. How cool is that? This is a great way to bet. So excited to be working with BetMakers. We're powering the fixed odds at Monmouth Park, and you're going to be hearing a lot more about fixed odds betting opportunities all across the In The Money Media Network. Next up on the show, happy to welcome back a popular guest who's here representing our friends at uh, TaylorMade and the Medallion Partnership. He is Philip Shelton. Philip, what's going on? Oh, not too much, Pete. Just getting ready. Uh, second second weekend or at Saratoga, opening weekend at Del Mar. So it's fun time. You guys are going to have a pretty big name representative uh, from the medallion side running up here uh, pretty soon. Tell us what you got cooking. Yeah, we got Belle Sophia, who's going to run in the Honorable Miss on Wednesday um, at Saratoga. So I'm flying out to Del Mar this one. We got two horses running Saturday, fly back to Saratoga for the beginning of next week. So, um, you know, excited to get up there. It's always fun to have a runner and a graded stake at Saratoga and keep her fingers crossed and get us in the winter circle. 
Well, that'll be a lot of fun and definitely one to be following. Always great to have that weekday star power up yeah. here at the spa. But you're here today to talk about this Saturday sequence. We'll look at seven races. I always say, and, and I've heard listeners point this out too, like, Philip, he's really good, but he's really, really good when it comes to the to the Phillies. Philip, uh, clearly having a way with the ladies. And, of course, I'm talking about on the racetrack. Get your minds out of the gutter, people. Okay, yeah, uh, make sure my wife doesn't hear that part. <laughs> Let's start off with the featured race of the day. Goes as race number five. It is the grade one CCA Oaks going a mile and an eighth. Uh, the, the, old, the old cliche, short field, long on talent, I think yeah. applies. Who do you think is going to win? I think Sinkard Oaks is going to win. Um, I just like – I actually like it, her being in a smaller field. You know, I think some of her races, Arkansas Derby, Preakness, probably didn't really get great trips in either one of those was really wide. You could really argue she got the same kind of trip in the Kentucky Oaks and still won. You know, I think really since she's coming to her own, she's undefeated against her own sex. Small field, I think, helps. Um, and, you know, from a multi, it's kind of great because it's the last leg of the early pick five. You've got that middle pick four sequence. To me, I'd be running the majority of my money through um, Secret Oath and kind of make a small play against Ness. Just, I think they'll probably be very similarly bet, just try to create a little extra value. I hear where you're going with that. I did put Nest on top. Just thought she ran so well in the Belmont without the benefit of a perfect trip. I thought the trip in the Oaks was underrated as well. I thought that in this field, she'd be able to sit handy yeah. and maybe be heard from late. Uh, do you have a specific case against her? Is it just straight up value point of view? And do you have another one you'd mention as a potential backup? I think just trying to create value. Like I wouldn't be shocked if she won and, you know, um, what I would say in general from just me from a playing perspective, like it might just be a race, you know, I'd have to dive into the first three races more to see if it's, it would be a race where I want to play the early pick five, or I would just want to play the late pick four or the middle pick four. Um, I just think these small races and these horses that have really tough campaigns early on, like I could see nostalgic running a lot better than her odds. Like she just bombed in the Oaks, but it's a full field comes back to a five, course field here she has a little bit more tactical speed but yeah i'd say the first two are going to be pretty tough like butterbean what she did at prairie meadows with you know tight track short stretch coming from way off the pace was pretty visually impressive this is obviously a significant um step up i think for me i just think secret those maybe a, a, a little bit better than nest i would agree i think nest actually didn't have the cleanest trip she kind of was under pressure a long way in the oaks kind of in between horses had to maybe move sooner than they would have wanted just to so she didn't get shuffled back um and really you know secret oath kind of took over on the turn and the race was over but um i think more just trying to find value in races like this if i if i have a little bit of an opinion i try to really press it because i think you could you can really increase your value let's talk about the first race of the pick six really curious always to get industry people's takes on these two-year-old races this is one We'll have talked about in another uh, segment on the show as well. So particularly interested to get uh, Phillip's take on race six. Who are you the most interested seeing in here? Who do you think you'll be betting? I think the way the racetrack played early in the meet, you know, yesterday was a little different. Phil Serpy had the, the first time starter, but it felt like horses with a little bit of experience. It's a tiring track. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting too. you get this race out to six furlongs. Most everything's been five and a half so far. It made me lean on some in your courage. You know, they don't have the morning line. I would have to think this horse is going to get bet. I think the big thing, too, you know, Phelps, he's a million-dollar into mischief yearling uh, who's been working well. You got Chad Brown and Hirad. It just feels like that horse is probably going to get bet a bunch. Like, a horse I'm somewhat interested just having a small bet on is that is going to be the two, the horse who's breaking from the rail, full moon madness. I really like horses that have this style of work pattern. A couple of gate works. They work, um, you know, they work in a bullet, you know, at Belmont on July 9th. He's fastest of 46, going 46 and three. And then they come back with just a maintenance work over the Saratoga track. He's got to work over the main track. You know, I think that's the other thing that is different this year at Saratoga. You know, if you talk to people, they're like, you know, the you got the training track and the main track. And I think there are a lot more people are working on the main track than maybe in some years past. Um, I think you, for a two-year-old, I would love a horse to have a work over the track. So I just really like this horse's work pattern. I don't love the rail draw. Um, yeah, there's no saying, but it's it's a, a very good pedigree being by Into Mischief and out of By the Moon. I just like the workout pattern. So I'd be somewhat intrigued. I think that horse could get lost in the betting. 
All right. I like those ideas. Two first-time starters I was interested in. I, and I'm not going to do the numbers because with the entry doing it this early, I'm liable to mess them up. Yeah. <laughs> Faithful and true I was interested in. Good magic. Off to a pretty solid start with uh, 13 runners so far. Three wins and three seconds. Obviously a precocious horse. And then the female family, uh, very, very strong as well. A trainer with solid stats in the category. Another firster who looked pretty interesting was powerful. This was yeah. by Nyquist, well above average, and a couple winners in the female family as well, including uh, including at least one that won first out. You, you give either of those any count in here? You know, I think the interesting thing, like, um, you know, faithful and true, I kind of would agree. I saw a, a lot of good matches last year's yearlings that I love. They all looked like they were going to be fast. They weren't overly big, but they were strong-bodied horses who look quick. I'm not surprised he's gotten off to a good start. They obviously paid a bunch for this thing at the two-year-old sale. Um, I just didn't love coming from Keeneland without a work over the track in a race where there's a lot of other ways to go. Um, yeah. I would know, you know, Rudolph Brasse only wins 13%, but he's got a positive ROI, so, you know, it'd be worse, worse stabs. And I think that the, the – the same for Nyquist, um, you know, had two works on the, on the training track. Um, you know, not, not impossible. What I'd say is I wouldn't talk anybody off anybody in, in this race. Um, and I think the Pletcher and the Chads are the two that are likely to take all the money. Um, so I wouldn't fault anybody that wanted to just kind of get outside of, of those things. That's what makes Saratoga so fun is these baby races. I mean, you could just go 10 different directions um, and it'd be hard to talk you off any of them. <laughs> Race number seven, we've got three and up New York red maiden special weights going five and a half on the turf. And I think there's no entries in here. So the numbers should be straight yeah. through. So I'll try to give them in this one. Number three, Treat Street, I thought was a little bit interesting. Took money on debut. Very difficult trip in there. I'm assuming she's better than what we saw on that day. And then very obvious one in the nine, Royal Dancer. What a great name. That sounds like a horse in a book or a movie, <laughs> Royal Dancer. Stakes yeah. tested, good figures, really good form coming out of those races. I like the three and the nine best. How did you see it? Yeah, I, I thought the nine, you know, was obviously very interesting. Um, you know, coming back out of a stakes race into Maiden Special Weight Company, it's obviously a pretty big class drop. Also, kind of like the horse cutting back in distance, you know, ran at a mile, faded a little bit, ran last time at seven, um, drawn outside should be, I don't know that going to be on the lead. There is some other speed in here, but I think should be able to sit, um, sit close. I think the two, you know, they're trying to get this horse on the grass for Chad with, with Irad, but again, I, I just, anything Chad and Irad, I just am like, it's probably going to get hammered and, from a multi-race bet, I think I'd have to include that horse. But from a pure, you know, vertical, I, I'd be a horse I maybe would want to play against at what what could be a short price. I was also slightly intrigued by the six. Um, I think some of these races at Belmont where you're going five eights or you're going uh, six furlongs or seven furlongs, cutting back to the five and a half here, drawn outside the other speed. Um, you know, busy morning obviously just aired that day. But this, the one, Queen of Lies and the six quick power nap, you know, basically dueled on the lead. They were separated by neck at the wire. Um, you know, it's the source's second start off of a pretty substantial layoff. I could see a forward move here. Um, so I'd be interested to include the six in any sort of multi-race bet. Recap for me. I missed one of the runners you wanted to do. I have the nine and the six written down. There was another one, though, right? Yeah, the two tough street uh, for Chad and I, Rat. I just think, you know, Spitzer out of a Freud mayor kind of says turf to me. Yep. Um, they obviously try to get him on the turf at the end of last year. He's coming off a layoff, which, you know, but, you know, if anybody can get him ready to run off a layoff, it's Chad. So he definitely has that club in his bag. Race eight is an allowance race going six furlongs on the dirt. Philip will keep it with you. To me, this is a spread race. It feels like there's a bunch of speed. I think you have, have two ways to go. You either get a single chat on the outside Um you know, this horse got beat a nose by Wit, who's a, a talented horse, came right back um, in the slop at Belmont going a mile, you know, opened up and just got nailed late. He's cutting back to six here. He's drawn on the outside, got enough speed to sit close. Um, but it does feel like there's quite a bit of other speed and there's quite a bit of other horses in here that have some ability. Like I, Peaceful Waters, who's going to break from the rail, he should be post uh, number two. You know, you look at his, he got beat by Cyber Knife. 
um, stretching out a distance. They cut him back at Churchill off of a little bit of a layoff. I thought he ran really well there. Um, you know, he is a three-year-old facing old, older horses, but he's going to get six pounds. Um, you know, I think favored outlaw when they, when he broke his maiden at Oaklawn and ran a 95 buyer. I mean, they were acting like he was going to be a grade one type horse. He, he did, you know, he didn't run great at nine to five at Churchill. Um, you know, really just not much of an excuse. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a, this is a spread race for me. I would say the six, I generally don't love taking three-year-olds facing older horses, jumping from maiden into allowance company. I think you can get some pretty salty older horses in here. Um, this horse just visually was super impressive at Keeneland. He beat Artorias, who was an arrogate out of Paula Silver Lining for Judmont. That horse came back to win um, at Belmont and ran really impressive next time out. Um, so I think he's in the mix. I, I wouldn't talk anybody off anybody in this race. I think there are a lot of different ways to go. I'm going to write down for your official picks, highly respected and peaceful waters. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's how I, that's how I view it. Seven two six, probably seven two six, and that account you, you're accounting for the scratch with those, yeah. with those numbers. Great for the couple. Not yeah, scratch, I'm, the couple. I'm, I'm, a, I'm accounting for the couple, but just like you said, I could I could just as easily screw that up. I wrote down the numbers on the PP. <laughs> We've said it enough now that it should be it should be yeah. clear and obvious. I thought stage left was maybe a little bit interesting as a horse who's maybe shown some hidden improvement for the new barn. Because I thought the last two trips were both really rough. Lots of obvious trouble last time. And then two back, spent a lot of time on a rail that probably was not the place to be. And then as a very figure-oriented player, I definitely wanted to have uh, – I, I was going to take a shot. You make a good point about the three-year-olds against their elders at, at, the, at this time of year. But I still think under oath and highly respected, just on the numbers, have to be yeah. respected for me. So I was going to try to use all three of them. I don't disagree um, and you said in terms of your bees in this race, you, you might use as, is it like an, as many as you can afford situation or yeah. are there specific? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I've like, I'm going to take a swing in the next race on a horse. So it affords me the opportunity to, to go a little wider there. I love it. It's a smart way of looking at the world for sure. Let's talk about race number nine on this Saturday card allowance race going a mile and an eighth this time on the dirt. And I'll kick it off with my idea that I thought that number three, Rising Empire, could be a little interesting as a pace play. Not much pace on in here. And adding the blinkers and just looking at the pace figures Rising Empire has run could be forward. Uh, could be a lot yeah. forward in this place. And as a horse that has plenty of finish, I thought that the five air attack seems very clearly well-suited to the distance. Has run a 105 at a mile and an eighth in the past. I thought would be a square price. And then Stage Raider. Uh, the outside runner, the seven, just looked like a pretty obvious one as well who could get the right kind of trip. But I'm really curious. It sounds like you have a strong opinion in this race. Is it one of the ones that I mentioned or is it one of the others? So I'm going to I'm gonna go with the one, Uncle Moonlight. I, I think just going back to the pace, I think you got Carmouche, you're drawn on the rail, you're stretching out in distance. To me, this horse is probably going to get as loose as he wants. Yeah. And it's just going to be a question of, you know, does he want to go a mile and an eighth? And that is a question, you know, he's uh, uncle Mo, you would think, you know, wouldn't stop him, but you know, the mayor was a better sprinter. I think she was a grade one winner going, going to seven, seven eights. Um, but I just think this horse, you know, they early on, you know, he wins for maiden 40, they bring him back, you know, he progressively seems like he's getting faster. Um, you know, I think it's an aggressive move to stretch him out to a mile and an eighth, but I think he could just get completely loose and I'm just going to take a swing. You know, I, I think I think the three is interesting. I actually looked at making the three my top pick, but once I started figuring out how would I structure a ticket, um, this just felt like a place I wanted to make a stand with Kendrick um, breaking from the rail on the lead. I would agree um, with the other ones that that I think you could use. I was also slightly intrigued with the four gentleman Joe for somebody that was going to spread. He's shown a little bit of speed in slower paced races. His last race was no good, but it was in the slot. Um, his, his three races previous to that were very good. And I wouldn't, um, you know, he would, he would be a horse if I was going to, you know, I like a horse in the next or in uh, the turf sprint too. So I could play a couple of tickets. He would be a horse that would be on my tickets, or he would be like a B if I was going to play, I'm going to uncle moonlight will be a lone a for me. And I'd have a couple of the other ones as B's, um, including 
Rising Empire Gentleman Joe and Stage Raider for me would be okay, these. great. I, I like it. I think that's a it sounds like a very smart approach. And let's talk about that stakes race you alluded to. More stakes action for Phillies and Mares in the five and a half furlong turf sprint uh, caress uh, grade three. And you, you alluded again that you have an opinion here. So I'll, I'll let you uh, take it from the top. Who's going to win? I think Miss J. McKay is going to win. I think last time out, she got a pretty. I would say it was a terrible trip, but she was just wide the whole way. Thought made a little bit of an early move. Um, thought maybe there was a shot she broke from the far outside. I thought maybe could have got her over a little bit more. Um, but Caravel basically just ran them off their feet that day. Star Divine ran really good. She was basically down on the rail the whole time, so she just saved ground. I think this field, you could get slightly better odds. And I think if she runs back to the race she ran in the license fee where she just saved a little bit more ground, you know, just opened up. I think cutting back to five and a half is going to be completely fine for her. And I just think there's other speed. I think Caravel last time, you know, she went fast early. She went 22 and 44 and changed. It wasn't like she, you know, just walked the dog. But I think there is some speed drawn outside of her that that could press her. Um, so to me, Miss J. McKay would be a, be a strong opinion. I think, you know, Caravel's obvious. Um, you know, she's drawn on the rail. She's going to go straight to the lead. Like Robin Sparkles is very fast. She's, you know, arguably faster than Caravel. She was in the Intercontinental and scratched. Um, so it was a pretty significant scratch that day. So I think if she stays in the race, I think it completely changes the dynamic. The other horse I would be slightly intrigued with betting um, is super sensational. She was a really good sprinter on dirt. You know, she won a grade three, came back, ran second in the test. She ran last time against the boys at Woodbine and she ran really good showed a lot of speed I think she could stalk a little bit here so I, I would be she's like very intriguing to me and I think how they bet the race could be interesting but I just think Miss J McKay you know she runs back to the license fee she wins and I think you could explain away her last race so that'd be how where I fall I put Caravel on top I've always been a fan I feel like that run two back was much better than it looked on what appeared to be a dead turf yeah rail. Compl completely agree and then I love the handling last time. You make a great point about Robin Sparkles in the race, but I was sort of hoping if they went on a mission with Robin Sparkles, that Caravel might be able to flop outside and stalk and pounce as they have done in the past with her. So I, I went ahead and put her on top. I also definitely wanted to name check and make sure, uh, get your opinion on the number four bout time. Who's been super impressive both visually and on the clock lately. I thought it was an obvious include, but you're obviously not wild about her. Now, I mean, I, I like her. Um, you know, this is obviously a big step up. She went down, and and I, I like what I would say is I like the way they've campaigned her. You know, they've they've kind of run her through her conditions. Um, you know, she, she's won one hundred and seventy thousand this year, so they've done a done a great job. I like that they went to this listed stake at Monmouth as opposed to jumping her up into New York. I think they've handled her great. She obviously has a lot of ability, and what you would say from a buyer perspective is if she runs back to her last race. You know, I'm touting Miss J. McKay who ran a 96 buyer two back. This filly ran a 96 last start. She's got good tactical speed. Um, I could definitely be interested in using her, you know, if I was going to spread or let's say I got knocked out early or something in a pick five or pick six and was going to shorten up and play a pick four um, or play play her around Miss J. McKay. Um, I just think what I could see is Caravel getting bet pretty hard. And I just don't think she's way faster than everybody else. Like she's very talented. Um, but I think really, if you look at her form last year, she won this race last year very impressively with the trip that you talked about where she stalked, pounced. That ended up only being a six-horse field. This is kind of a different beast. And since that point, it feels like she's basically been need the leader bust. Mm -hmm. um, now, you might say, well, you know, she ran in a grade three against the boys. She ran in the Breeders' Cup, and she ran – all of her bad races have been against the boys. So – you, you can kind of make an excuse and say, well, but to me, it just feels like the way she is now, she's got to get the lead. She might just be classier than, than everyone, but um, that would be my kind of take on her. And I think it what's just going to be a short price. Let's move on to the nightcap. We just have two minutes left, Philip. We've got the starter allowance going a mile and a 16th on the inner turf. How are we going to get paid? Man, uh, good luck in this race. They didn't do any favors with, I think there's 16 horses entered in here. Uh, obviously some, some also eligibles. Um, you know, I I thought the one was really interesting. You know, it was 
coming in with relatively sh sharp form. Um, you know, I ended up going to the six topic changer as, as my main play. I like the way that this horse got beat seven links first out, but the horse won by seven ran second. They came back for maiden 40 into maiden special weight for this for state breads. Um, and, you know, the horse won super impressive. They also, that, that race was at a, at a mile and an eighth. Um, so you get two turns here. That's where I ended up landing, but, you know, my goal will be trying to get to a point where within my budget, I could play as many of these as I, as I possibly can. I think like Lord Flincher's interesting dropping in from st state bread allowance into open starter. I might argue, I don't know that that's too much class relief. This horse, um, you know, it's run well mile and a 16th last time out. I thought ran well enough going a mile and an eighth only got beat a length and a quarter, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'll be trying to play as, as many of these as I can. I'll shout out a couple to wrap us up. I thought that the two Montatham might get the best trip by being able to sit handy. Third start off the layoff here as well. Not a ton of speed in this race. So I was a little bit concerned about taking yeah. one from too far back, but I will take um, a horse that will probably be the favorite in, uh, in catch that party who I thought was just an obvious use on figures. And I thought had a really big trip last time, not breaking stuck behind a slow. Yeah. That's the number eight catch that party. Those would be two more. I would nominate any closing thoughts on this race or the day or what's going on with medallion or anything else. Yeah. I think that was my thought too, was like just, that horse looked like he was going to be further back. That's why I ended up going to the six. I think second start showed a lot more speed, which is not, you know, atypical for second time starters. Thought could get kind of that trip sitting second or third and make first run. So, um, no, good luck to everybody on on Saturday at Saratoga. Um, you know, it's just like I said, it's this is what as, as horse players, you kind of get through that triple crown season, get a little bit of a lull for you and I. It's not as much of a lull because the European racing is, is going thick and fast. Um, you know, I think this is what really gets everybody excited. It feels like Saratoga Del Mar is the official kickoff to kind of the second half of the racing racing season. Um, you know, for us, it's really exciting. Obviously, with with Bella Sophie, who's arguably the top female sprinter in the country, we have going to Vegas is going to wait for the maybe at at Del Mar and kind of try to go maybe Rodeo Drive, which she won last year, back into a into a Breeders' Cup. But um, you know, we have a yearling partnership where a bunch of our two year olds are. Uh, we bought last year our first uh, two-year-old's going to run at Ellis a week from Friday, um, a filly named Desert Tempest, who's an American pharaoh. So it's just it's kind of all that excitement. You get all everything through the first half. Now the second half, you, the Breeders' Cup's in, in your sights, um, you know, here at Keeneland. So we're just really excited about everything that's going on, and we'll, we'll hopefully uh, the horses run well, and, and um, we can have a lot of fun for the second half of the year. Great stuff, buddy. We'll be talking soon. All right. Thanks, Pete. As the summer heat starts rolling in, and it's already rolled, July brings us more Breeders' Cup Challenge Series win, and you're in action. Elsewhere on the show, actually probably in the next segment, you're going to hear all about the King George at Ask It. You've already heard about the TVG.com Haskell for the three-year-olds. You can tune in Saturday, July 23rd, live coverage starting at 5 p.m. on CNBC for these brace of grade one races and as far as the Haskell goes, the winner gets 150000 in entry fees paid for by Breeders' Cup, a $10,000 award to the nominator, a $10,000 travel allowance for horses stabled outside of Kentucky, and that automatic entry into the $6 million Longines Breeders' Cup Classic on November 5th. To learn more about the Challenge Series, go to breederscup.com. And to try to win your way into the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge, make sure to check out our Horse Player Happy Hour games. You can sign up early week. Go to horseplayers.com and look for Horse Players Happy Hour. That URL, once again, is horseplayers.com. Next up in the show, very happy to welcome in a returning guest whom I've had the pleasure of working with in my role as the U.S. analyst for Sky Sports Racing. He is a researcher over there, and the tables are going to be turned now where we're going to bring him in to talk about the other win and you're in race happening this weekend. It's going to be going down at Ascot, it is the King George the Sixth and Queen Elizabeth Kipco Stakes, and he is Callum Hellowell. Callum, how are things, my friend? I'm very good, Peter. How are you getting on yourself? Things are great. A little hot here, as I imagine it is there. How are you keeping <laughs> cool? 
it, it's been okay. We've had we had two days of absolutely ridiculous weather, and then the last two days it's calmed down a little bit. Uh, I've been in the process of moving house, so I'm a bit of a sweaty mess now, and I have been for the last couple of days. So we just got to get through all of that. That's that's the main concern at the moment. And once I get all settled and moved, at least you're not doing it from my um, my kitchen floor, which I thought <laughs> we were doing the podcast from. So we get the pleasure of being in the car this time. I thought maybe you were in the car for some aircon. I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> no, no, just 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 just. <laughs> in the process of being in between buildings right now. That, that, that's the best way I can describe it. Let's talk about the big race on Saturday. Huge uh, implications for just the divisional honors and, and just a super important race in general. For folks that don't know, give us a little bit of an overview of how important this race is in the British uh, racing landscape. Oh, I think you, you can't overestimate the importance of the King George. You're talking the first time the mile and a half Colts, Phillies, uh, and they all get to collide with their elders. So three-year-olds get to run against four-year-olds, and that's massive. We've seen it over the mile trip with some of the races earlier this season, but now we see it for the mile and a half animals. And that's what makes it exciting, because we always see a spectacular performance. It's very, I can't even think of the last poor, the poor King George we've had. I mean, last year, Adea, as a three-year-old, he walked into the paddock. I'd, I'd never seen him in the flesh. I was fortunate enough to see him in the flesh. And he was some strapping side boy. He was fantastic to look at. And I was backing love on that day because I saw she's, she's getting the way to allow it. She'll have it all on her side. She couldn't lay a glove on him. She didn't even see which way he went. And away, and he was brilliant. And it was a superb performance. And you just look for those things. You go all the way back to Monja. And the performance that he did doing it on the bridle in his first run in the UK, Galileo beating Fantastic Light, Enable winning it three times. I mean, the list goes on with phenomenal horses that have run it. And it always is a good race. And I think for those mile and a half fans outside the derby, this is the one we all really do look forward to because it's a, it's a cracking little contest, despite only having six runners this year. We'll start off with an overview of the field and then we'll hold your feet to the fire for a final answer. But from a sporting point of view, which runner are you the most interested in seeing on Saturday? Oh, I think it's got to be the German Raider, Torquato Tasso, who I've butchered the pronunciation of it, but he is a star, um, an absolute star in Germany. He came over for the arc last year, odds between 70 and 80 to 1. No one gave him a second look in the parade ring, and he absolutely flew home on a muddy longchamp course so he's coming here he's coming to the uk the ground is a concern i know they were desperate to bring him over whether they'll be happy enough to go on the ground is yet to be seen because he is a bit of a mudlark but he has a lot of class and i think it's truly underrated and it's so sporting of the connections to even bring him over they didn't have to they could have waited for france they could have waited for maybe one of the french trials the pre-real comes to mind but instead they come over and they've given it a go and that for me, is fantastic to see. And if he runs, it would just be great to see how he gets on. I personally won't be backing him, but I believe he's, he's much more talented than his odds will probably suggest. If he's bigger than sixes, sevens, he'd definitely be one you'd be interested in at each way place, even though you've only got the six run, you only get the two, but he's, he's certainly one to keep on the right side of. Taking a look at some of the early betting, Westover has been installed as the favorite in this spot. What do you think of this Frankel Colts chances? I mean, he's got he's got everything on paper that you want to see from a Frankel three-year-old. He's got the size. He's got that amazing stride. He really seems to be a willing customer. The derby was the real time we saw him shine. Although he came second, he was hammering home the line. Couldn't get past Desert Crown. That has led to this whole jockey debate that's going on now about who rides him, what they're doing, whether Judmont have made the correct decision. And we'll get on to that. But for me, as a horse right now, he is the one to be shot at. He's the rightful favourite. I think there's plenty of horses to go for him, but he, he is the right and worthy favourite. And what he did in the Irish Derby was quite frankly remarkable. He absolutely spread eagled the field. So if he can repeat that form, he'll be very, very hard to beat. You mentioned the Phillies and boys angle in this race, represented here by Emily Upjohn, currently second in the betting at 9-4. to four. Are you a fan of her? Oh, mm, I love me some Emily Upjohn. I absolutely love her. Number one, she's a book two filly. Didn't cost the earth. Always a great story. She She's in training with John and Sadie Godston. It's a lovely, lovely story altogether. She came so, so close in the Oaks. We talk about a Derby, unfortunate event with um, Westover. But let's talk about the Oaks. Like, Emily Upjohn didn't 
come out the gates. She fell out the gates. She was on her nose coming out the gates. She sits at the back of the field. Frankie pulls her all the way wide. She comes down the stand side, halfway down the straight. Frankie takes a pull on her. She's going that well. He pulls her back into him. And then Hammer's Hope Miller is just defeated by Tuesday. Tuesday form hasn't looked great as she couldn't even meet Westover in the paddock, let alone on the race course in the Irish Derby. But I think she's a monstrously talented horse. She gets all the weight. John and Sadie Gosden know what they're doing when it comes to training fillies for this race. Just look at Enable. Just look at Enable. Oh, did I forget? Tagruda? Let's look at her as well. John and Sadie Gosden can train these fillies for this race. So Emily Upjohn is 100% my pick. A horse I absolutely adore. And I think she's going to be not only a fantastic racing filly, but I can't wait to see her as a breeding filly. Look at the size of her. What she can what she can produce in the future is certainly something I'm looking forward to. The most familiar name to a lot of American betters who don't necessarily follow um, the current seasons going on going to be Mishriff in here. What do we think of his chance to make a oh. big impact? Oh, the Mish, the Mish. He does it all over the world. Saudi Arabia, check. America, check. UK, check. He does it all. I remember his uh, his win over here last year was was brilliant because he finally landed that Group One in front of everybody and in the UK, and we had to give him the respect he deserves. I think the story is not the horse so much, but more about the jockey. Uh, David Egan, is, who's been riding him all the way through, has the uh, connection with the owners. Apparently, according to reports, he refused to sign the contract extending his um, his hold with those owners. So now we've given it to James Doyle, uh, Hamez Doyley, as I like to call him. He is the man that can ride usually for Godolphin. We've seen what he can do in the classics this year. He did the 1,000, 2,000 guineas double. He gets the ride. I feel I feel for David because I think he's a great horse. But if that's the way the owners want to go, if that's the way he wants to go, they've got to make their own decisions. But it'd be great to see someone else on him. Um, he ran with credit last time out. You have to give him credit for that performance on his last start. But I just think I think he I could I could eat my words here and I could look like a fool, but I think he's passed it. I do. I love the horse. I think he, he's a great animal. But I just think some of these youngsters are really going to put it to him. And um, he ran a cracking race behind Vidini last time, but this could be a tougher ask. I think these these horses that he's up against are better than Vidini, who, who put him in his place last time out. Broom and pile driver round out the field at much bigger prices. Any comments on either of these outsiders? Put some respect on Broom. That would be my first thing you've got to do. Put some respect on Broom. Do you not see him at Ascot and the Hardwick? Hurricane Lane goes into the race favourite, the big dashing chestnut from Charlie Applebee's. He comes into the race. Broom, from the start, never sees another horse. Ryan Moore gives it possibly the ride of the meeting. I know everyone talks about some of the horses coming from further back and the ride that uh, Nature's Trip received from McDonald. But let's talk about Ryan Moore dictating the fractions. We're really getting into sectional timing here in the UK. We're miles behind everybody else. And the fractions that he set were quite frankly remarkable. Even the Australians that I was around were like, this is very impressive. So he, Broom's got that Ascot form. He ran a very good, now does the form behind him look good after Hurricane Lane disappointed again? No, nah, you'd have your concerns, but he is some, some animal. And if he can get going and he can start rolling, and I call it like quite relentless, quite remorseless. If he can do those things, it could be hard to pass, but he just needs to have it all go his own way. If he gets taken on for the lead, if he breaks poorly, it could be over within a matter of strides. But the, the price will be massive and he'll definitely, he deserves some more respect. Okay, it's time for your final answer, Callum. We're looking at this weekend's win and you're in. King George VI and Queen Elizabeth Stakes winning you're in stuff for the Breeders' Cup turf. Who's going to win? Emily Upjohn. Emily Upjohn. Emily Upjohn again. I think she's got the form. She's got the pedigree for it. She's got the she's got the team behind her that are so used to doing this with Philly. She's got the weight, the featherweight on her back. And I believe if she comes to her best form, I think she'll make the boys look silly. So Emily Upjohn for me is my tip for the race. Great stuff, Callum. Appreciate you. And uh, we'll have you on again soon. I appreciate you, Peter. See you around. Hopefully we'll see you in the studio at some point because we miss your beautiful face. <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere, my friend. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And what, I'm loving the hat as well. Big, big fan. <laughs> Got to represent our friends over at Breeders' Cup. Thanks very much. Send me one in the post. <laughs> That is all the time we have on the show. We are going to uh, close it out here, but really appreciate all the guests who appeared on the show today. Want to thank our friends and partners all across the In The Money Media Network, 
our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, our partners at horseplayers.com. We appreciate them very much. And of course, the Breeders' Cup as well. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos.